In every sport there is a time in the season, one game in the season for most teams that they refer to as the big game. It might be the game where number one plays number two. But there's always, nearly every sport, nearly every team has the big game. And for real champions, they rise to the occasion and most of the time will win that big game and sometimes even crush the opponent they are playing. They're so prepared for the big game. But there's also a strange phenomenon that follows the big game. It's called the big letdown. The coaches have to really push their team and prepare their team for the next game after the big game because there's often a big letdown. It's amazing how a team that just buried number one or number two can then go play ETSU and get, get clobbered. But it happens, and it happens so many times in sports. They all of a sudden go from powerful to pitiful. But not only does it happen in sports, it also happens for most of us who are trying to follow Jesus. Uh, there's a book that I have recommended to other pastors, probably more than any other book I've shared with pastors, and it's called Leading on Empty. It's written by Wayne Cordero, who is a pastor. And on the back of the book, let me just read you this little paragraph that describes the book, and it describes Wayne Cordero's experience. On the back of the book he says, I had gone for a jog before I was to speak at a leadership conference. This is a well-known pastor of a megachurch, travels the world speaking. He said, I, I had gone for a jog before I, I was to speak at a leadership conference. I still can't remember how I got there, but I found myself sitting on a curb, weak, weeping uncontrollably. I couldn't tell if it took place suddenly or gradually, but I knew something had broken inside. And I remember lifting my trembling hands and asking out loud, what in the world is happening to me? Prophet Elijah had a similar experience. What you might call an unexpected collapse. After the big game, it was the big letdown. It was an unexpected collapse in his life. And his story is told in 1 Kings 18 and 19. If you want to open God's Word as we continue our Days of Elijah series. Let me remind you what we talked about last week. For Elijah, the big game was at a place called Mount Carmel. 1 Kings chapter 18 where he faced 450 false prophets of Baal in what would be the ultimate showdown. The... the Really, the question was, whose God would answer by fire? Whose God would prove that they really were God? And of course, Baal didn't show up because Baal didn't exist. But God sent fire. We looked at that last week. God sent fire and consumed the sacrifice and consumed the altar and consumed even the water on the ground. And the people fell prostrate as they saw that. They fell prostrate before God again. And they declared once again, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And the Bible says that the 450 prophets of Baal were killed in order to cleanse the land of idolatry, much like you would cut cancer from your body. And then the Bible says that rain began to fall for the first time in three and a half years. It was a sign of God's forgiveness. It was a sign of God's mercy. It was a sign of God's grace as the rain began to fall again from heaven. And then the chapter ends with these 
Interesting words. I told you last week we'd come back to these words. 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning of verse 45. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And then these interesting words in verse 46. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. If you mark your Bible, you might want to mark these words. The power of the Lord came on Elijah. Everything was going right for Elijah. Everything was happening the way it should be happening. Everything on, on Mount Carmel was absolutely perfect. Every, he experienced and, and expressed the power of God in so many different ways. Everything was going right for him. And he ran across the valley of Jezreel in the power of the Lord. Nobody could have predicted the unexpected collapse that was just ahead. Including Elijah. We pick up the story, 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. This is our text for today. Verse 1, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was what, church? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the, into the desert, he came to a broom tree, he sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no longer, I'm no better than my ancestors. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. Those of you watching online, those watching in the, in the LC, just listen to this. If I had told you the story of Elijah and you didn't know your Bible, if I had told you the story of Elijah about a great man of God in chapter 18, and you didn't know your Bible, and I told you the story of a broken man of God in chapter 19, you would likely think that I was talking about two different people. If I didn't use their name, and if you, didn't know their, their, if you didn't know the Bible story, if I told you what happened in chapter 18, and then told you what happened in chapter 19, you would surmise I'm talking about two different people. And the question is, what happened? It's the most obvious question of the text. What happened to this fearless prophet who faced the 450 prophets of Baal? How did Elijah go from powerful to pitiful? How did he go from the big game... To the big letdown. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you how he did it. Same way you and I do. Same way you and I do. Maybe you've been wondering uh, about your life. And you're looking at your own life and thinking, what happened? How did I get here? How did I get this way? This is not who I used to be. I want you to write something down. I hope you're taking notes today. I want you to write something down, kind of a summary statement. Here it is. Sometimes we learn the hard way that yesterday's power won't help us with today's problems. Sometimes we learn the hard way that yesterday's power won't help us with today's problems. I'm going to give you three lessons about Elijah and how he ended up with this unexpected collapse. And I want you to write these down. 
Because you're going to need this or you're going to run into somebody that's going to need this more than likely. So here's the three lessons I want to give you. Here's the first one. Number one, unexpected collapses began in unguarded moments. Unexpected collapses began in unguarded moments. For three years, Elijah did everything God told him to do. For three years, Elijah did not make a move without God telling him what to do. For three years, he was hearing and obeying the Lord's instructions. For example, in chapter 17, verse 3, the Lord said, leave here and go to the, to the Kareth Ravine, to the brook. And Elijah obeyed, the Bible says, and he went. Or in chapter 17, verse 9, sometime later, God told him, go to the widow in Zarephath. And the Bible says he obeyed the Lord and he went. Chapter 18, verse 1, God says, go present yourself to King Ahab. And the Bible says he obeyed the Lord and he went. And every time he obeyed the Lord and he went somewhere, God always took care of him. In miraculous ways, God provided for his needs. God always took care of him whenever he obeyed the Lord and did what the Lord told him to do. Then we come to chapter 19, verse 3, and we read these unsettling words. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Suddenly, Elijah is running where God has not sent him. You might want to write that in the column of your Bible. Suddenly, Elijah is running where God has not sent him. You know, coaches sometimes talk about a particular play in a game, and and they'll say that was the turning point of the game. Whether good or bad, it can be the turning point of the game. There was one play, there was one moment that was the turning point in the game. There was a moment like that for Elijah. A turning point in his life. It was an unguarded moment where he responded in the flesh rather than in the spirit. And it was his first step towards exhaustion. It was his first step towards an unexpected collapse. Elijah was afraid and did what, church? What does it say in verse 3? Elijah was afraid and... Imagine how different his story would have been if we could have written it this way. Elijah was afraid and we fill in something different in that blank. Think of how different his story would have been if it said Elijah was was afraid and he prayed for God to help him. Or Elijah was afraid and he trusted God to take care of him. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. He panicked when he should have prayed. It was a moment that changed everything. You see, the reason that there seems to be two different Elijahs in this text, chapter 18, chapter 19, is because, listen to this, this is so important. In chapter 18, Elijah in chapter 18 depended on God's strength, and the Elijah in chapter 19 depended on his strength. Remember what James 5.17 says? We very first sermon in this series, we read James 5.17 that says, Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was an extraordinary prophet, but he was also an ordinary man. I want to say that again. Elijah was an extraordinary prophet, but he was also an ordinary man. There was that moment, that unguarded moment, where he made a decision that changed everything. 
Elijah was afraid. And instead of turning to the Lord, he ran for his life. I've told you this before, but let me tell you uh, once again a good definition of fear. Fear is faith in the enemy. Fear is faith in the enemy. Elijah was fearful of Jezebel, and he had good reason to be fearful because she had killed a lot of prophets. He probably knew a lot of those guys by name, and she had slaughtered the prophets of God, and she said, listen, I'm going to tell you something, by this time tomorrow, you'll be the next one. He had good reason to be fearful. But, he also had good reason to trust God. God had demonstrated his power on Mount Carmel the day before. God had demonstrated his power on Mount Carmel. God had had shown him what he was capable of doing. God had enabled him to stand against 450 prophets of Baal. Surely he could enable him to stand up to one woman. But you can make a moment, make a decision in a moment of weakness that can cause you to go where God hasn't sent you. You can make a decision in a moment of of weakness that can cause you to do what God never intended for you to do. You can have a moment of unguarded weakness where you run from the Lord's will for your life. Let let me put it to you this way. Write this down. This is not a separate point. It's just a kind of a a subject I want to underline for you. Sometimes we fail at our strongest points. Sometimes we fail at our strongest points. What I mean by that, if you look through the Bible, you'll see this again and again. Men and women of God, that the place that they failed was the place where they thought they would never fail. Abraham fled Egypt and he failed in his faith, which was his greatest strength. David's greatest strength was his integrity. He was a man after God's own heart. His greatest strength was his integrity and that's where he failed in his lying and scheming in his relationship with Bathsheba. Moses was the meekest of men, the Bible says, and yet his temper forfeited his opportunity to go into the promised land. Peter was a courageous man, yet his courage failed and he denied that he even knew the Lord. Elijah was a man of bold faith, but his boldness failed when he heard Jezebel's threat. Sometimes you're, in an unguarded moment, your greatest strength becomes your greatest weakness. We read in verse 3. Look at the text with me. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, and when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Beersheba, by the way, is the southernmost city in the land of Israel. It is kind of like the southern border. It would be kind of like our Miami today. You know, about as far south as you can go is Miami or, or what's that, uh, the, the, what? Key West. So, so that, that was Beersheba. Beersheba was about as far as you can go south. So he was up in the northern part of Israel, Mount Carmel, and he traveled about 115 miles south to Beersheba. And then once he got to Beersheba, the Bible says that he went a day's journey into the desert by himself. That he he left his servant there and he went a day's journey by himself into the desert. And he finally sat down under a tree, a little bush if you will. And this is what he prayed, verse 4. While himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. 
take my life. It must have been a Monday morning for him. I've had enough, Lord. I want you to hear me and hear me well. I figured it up and it probably took about five days to go to, from Mount Carmel down to Beersheba and then down into the desert a little further, a day's journey. About five days of running away from the Lord. About five days of running from Jezebel. And every day that he was running, he seemed to get deeper and deeper into the darkness of depression. To the point that when he finally gets to where he wants to go there in the desert, he collapses in utter exhaustion and discouragement, convinced that he is a failure. And he says, take my life, Lord. And then he goes on to say this, I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm an utter failure. That's what he was saying. And my guess is some of you know what that's like. You know that feeling. Because you were very zealous for God. Very involved in serving the Lord. Very dedicated to everything He called you to do. And in, in an unguarded moment, something happened in your life. And now, the person you used to be is just a memory. And you're ready to call it quits. Emotionally, you're burned out. Physically, you're worn out. Spiritually, you're dried up. There's a deep sense of failure and disappointment in your life. And if that's you, you need to hear the second point of this message. Listen carefully. Here's point number two. Don't miss point number two and make sure you hear everything I'm going to say. I don't want to be misquoted. Here's point number two. Listen carefully. It's okay to not always be okay. It's okay. To not always be okay. And the reason I say that is because of what happens in verses 5 through 9. I love this part of the story. Look at the text with me. Beginning in verse 5. Then he laid down under the tree. After he told the Lord in verse 4. That take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. It says in verse 5. Then he, then he laid down under the tree. And fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him. And said get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Or most people think that also is a reference to Mount Sinai place where Moses had met with God generations before. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. I love this part of the story because what you see is God encountering Elijah as he's running away from the Lord. And God didn't give Elijah what he deserved. He gave Elijah what he needed. Now listen to me church. Do you know what he needed at that moment? He needed food, and he needed water, and he needed rest. So there was a warm loaf of bread, a jar of cold water, and he allowed him to take a nap. Life always just seems better after you take a nap, doesn't it? Look at what wasn't there. There was no sermon. There was no rebuke. There was no... what. There was no kind of just 
coming down hard on him. There was no lightning bolt. There was, there was, there was nothing like that. No blame, no shame. Listen, no blame, no shame. Instead, God said, take it easy. Rest for a while. You haven't had a good meal in a while. Here's some warm bread and some cold water. That must have brought back some memories for Elijah of that time at the Kareth Ravine. Remember chapter 17? How he lived by the brook for a while and God fed him from the ravens, brought him food every day and, and God provided the water from the brook every day. It must have brought back memories of what he used to be relationship he used to have with God I want to say something to you you can get out of God's will but you're never out of God's sight God is attentive to the groans of our heart and to the needs of our lives and I love the fact that when he was running from God not just from Jezebel he was also running from God when he was running from God and he encountered God in the desert, God did not chastise him and criticize him and condemn him. Apparently, it's okay not to always be okay. And I don't have the time to give you a list, but if you read through the Bible, you'll see some of the great heroes of the faith had those days of doubt and depression and darkness and discouragement. Men like Moses... Abraham, and the list could go on and on. Now, when I say it's okay to not always be okay, I'm not implying that God wants you to live there. That God wants you to stay there. Which brings me to the third point, and this is where I really want to focus for a few minutes. Here's the third point I want you to write down. When you've given up on life, God hasn't given up on you. Remember what He said? He said, Lord... Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. But when you've given up on life, God hasn't given up on you. Let's pick up the story in verse 9. There he went, remember he's at Mount Sinai now, or Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And it, when he got there, it says in verse 9, there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death and with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a what, church? A what? Gentle whisper. You know when you whisper to somebody, you have to be close to them? You ever thought about that? You don't whisper from a distance. Whisper to someone when you're close to them. So after this demonstration of God's power, and God wasn't in any of that, Elijah heard God whisper. A voice came to him. When, when, verse 13. When Elijah 
heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice or a whisper said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? It's interesting to me as I've looked at this for a while now that every time God asked him that question, Elijah defended himself. You ever notice that? When it, he said, here, okay, let me, let me explain to you why I'm here. Look at it. Verse 10, I've been very zealous for the Lord God. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's trying as best he can to justify why he's been running. We do that all the time, don't we? Try as best we can to justify what we've done or what we failed to do. But Elijah was missing the point. When God was asking, what are you doing here, Elijah? Here's what God was saying. I didn't send you here. Remember when I sent you to Kareth Brook? I sent you there. Remember when I sent you to the widow of Zarephath? I sent you there. Remember when I sent you to Ahab? I sent you there. What are you doing here? I didn't send you here. In an unguarded moment, Elijah had made a poor decision. In that unguarded moment, he decided to trust in himself rather than trust in the Lord. And God wanted him to realize why he was where he was. God may be saying to some of you today, why are you in this mess? Why are you here? I don't mean to hear in the church, but why are you here in this situation? So how do we recover from those times? When you find yourself in a place that God has not sent you, how do you recover from that? Listen and write this down. You obey your way out. You obey your way out. Look at verse 15. This is so good. In verse 14, Elijah's once again just trying to justify why he's done what he's done and how he ended up where he is. And the Lord, in verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. And go to the desert Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meheloha, to succeed you as prophet. You know what God was saying? Okay. This is where you are. Now go back the way you came to where I'm sending you again. And the only way to get out of that cave of disobedience, the only way to get out of that cave of depression, the only way to get out of that despondency of that unexpected collapse is to obey your way out. What's the next thing God's calling you to do? What's the next thing God's giving you to do? You obey God's voice and you walk out of that cave of disobedience. Go back the way you came. 
I, I told you that I've got this on my nose because I had to go to the dermatologist uh, on Thursday. And it was just a spot on my nose, no big deal. He looked at it and he said, well, that's, pre, that's a precancerous growth. And um, if we leave it, it it's, it's just going to turn into cancer. It will turn into cancer. They're going to have to cut a big hole in your nose. Or we could do this. And he got this can. He said, now this spray is 145 degrees below zero. And I can spray it on that spot. And it's going to freeze it off. And your nose is going to look ugly. And then it's going to fall, the scab's going to fall off. And, uh, and it's going to be painful. It's going to be so cold, it's going to be painful. And it's going to be expensive. Now what do you want to do? Now, I, I wanted to say, is this a real question? I mean, I can leave it, and it's going to turn into cancer, and it's going to get worse, and it's going to have a big hole in my nose. Or, or I, can, I can have a little pain today and pay a little bit more money and, and be done with it. Yeah, that's right. What do you want to do? Sometimes it's that way with God, isn't it? You have to decide what you're going to do. And the decision is yours. And it may be obvious what you ought to do. But you still have to decide to obey, don't you? And you can just leave it. But I can promise you, if you leave it, it's going to get worse. It's going to spread. And it's going to cost you more in the long run. And it may hurt a little bit to deal with it now. It might even be a little bit expensive to deal with it now. But I promise you, you will deal with it now or you will deal with it later. What's the wise thing to do? The wise thing is to obey your way out of your problem. See, when you've given up on life, God's not given up on you. And the, the, the wonderful part of this story is this. While he was in the cave, he could never imagine what God still had in store for him. In fact, let me just fast forward his life story to get to the end of it. And we're going to probably look at this as we close out the series. Here, here's the, the end of his life story. He was walking one day and God swept him up in a whirlwind and took him to heaven. God was so pleased with him. So, he was so blessed by God that God just said, come on, you just need to come on home. And he didn't even die. God just swept him up in a chariot of fire and took him to heaven. Now he never would have guessed that while he was in that cave of disobedience. He never could have imagined what God still had in store for his life. You just don't know what God still has in store for you. You can't imagine how good God wants to be to you. If you will just obey your way out of the mess you've made. You can deal with it now. Or you can deal with it later. But obedience to God is always the best choice. And all God's people said... Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? We're not going to have a song today. Uh, we're just going to dismiss the service. But I just want to give you a chance to respond right here, right now. I want to give you a chance to say yes to the Lord. 
I do want to obey. What's the next thing I need to do? For a lot of you, you probably know what that is. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you give us the faith and the courage to, to obey you? Would you give us the faith and the courage to take the step back towards you? For these people that perhaps are watching online or these people in this sanctuary or those watching in the Life Center, God, there are times when we all are just human. Elijah was a man just like us. There are days when he's extraordinary and then there are days when he is ordinary and we have those days too. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that's new every morning. Thank you that you offer us a way out and a way back. And May we obey you. May we start obeying you again like we used to. And may you use our lives again like you used to. Thank you that you are a God of grace, a God of mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.